The following program was pre-recorded on WFAN. It's time for Hello, My Name is Craig, our weekly candid conversation about gambling addiction. It's supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. Now, here's Craig Carton. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton with you as always. A 30-minute, frank, open, honest conversation about gambling addiction. We do it every Saturday morning and we appreciate you taking the time. Out of your very busy weekend uh, to check us out and hear some stories that may shed some light on gambling addiction in a manner that you had never considered before. Now, joining us as always is Dan Trelaro. Danny, of course, is with the New Jersey Council on Compulsive Gambling, better known to you out there as 800 Gambler. Dan, good morning. How are you? I'm doing well, Craig. Good morning. How are you today? Doing really well. Uh, listen, it's a it's a summer weekend. It's a down the shore weekend, or wherever people enjoy the weekends. Absolutely. And I'm happy to have you uh, on this show as always. And joining us today for the first time is a compulsive gambler like myself, like Dan, and his name is Joe. And Joe is uh, from Westchester County, New York. Joe, good morning, and thank you for taking the time to talk with us today. Good morning, Craig. Good morning, Dan. Great to be here. So, if you don't mind me asking, uh, what was your you know gambling uh, of choice? What type of games did you like to play? Well, when I got right to to it, it was everything. But primarily, I'm a degenerate horse player. That was the beginning for me when I started playing the horses. I just you know I couldn't stop. Loved it. I grew up close to Aqueduct Racetrack, so I was there as often as I could be. But later on, it turned into casinos. It turned into sports betting. It turned right. into pretty much anything. All right, so let's uh, let me back the truck up. Let's start from when you were younger. Uh, do you remember the first time you uh, gambled or felt something you know different about gambling? Something that attracted you to it? Did you start as a kid back in the day, or did it start a little later? Uh, I, I can tell you exactly. I, I was in ninth grade, and I was asked to go to the racetrack with a buddy of mine and his dad. I guess his dad got stuck with the kids for a Saturday and uh, went to Aqueduct. And, you know, uh, his father said, pick a horse. So I looked at the names like any normal person would do. And I there was a horse called Strawberry Royale. And I he gave me two bucks. I go made a, I made a bet. And the horse won. And I have to tell you something. I really didn't know much or anything about horse racing, but I do know that I was standing in the grandstand and I heard the announcer say, and here comes Strawberry Royale. And the horse, I couldn't believe. I think it was the eight horse. He went by in first place. My heart was pounding. I was like, this is the greatest thing in the world. And you were hooked at that moment? I, I believe so. I mean, I went back there the next Saturday just with a couple of buddies of mine saying, this is the greatest place you go to to get money. Can you imagine that? <laughs> yeah, I, sadly, I can. I, you know, I worked at Yonkers Raceway for one summer back in the late 80s, so I, I know it. I know it. I never got into horse racing uh, addictively as, as you did and many other callers we've had on the show, but I get it, and I, uh, I certainly saw it. You know, I, I've told this story many times that you know, when I uh, interned at Yonkers Raceway, at the end of that summer, I, I waited around for my tip. You know, and uh, the, the legend of the internship was that at the end of the summer, all the drivers and the trainers and uh, every, you know, all the track employees kind of got together, put a couple bucks in, and you'd walk out of there at the end of the summer with, let's say, a thousand bucks, right? So I was, I was hanging around my last day. And I was like, "Where's the, the where's my money?" Basically, and uh, I'll never forget one of the uh, one of the guys that worked in the paddock area came and gave me a Manila envelope, 
And he said, appreciate all your work, kid. Open this when you leave the building. So I go to my car. <laughs> I open up the manila envelope. And it's um, the racing program for that night. And every race has a horse circled in it. Wow. So I, mean, I only got a couple bucks to my name. I'm an 18-year-old kid right, at that point, 19 years old. So I call my best friend up. I go, look, meet me at the track. Tonight's our night. And uh, I won 10 out of 11 races that night. Wow. And I said, wow, I gotta, I, all I said was, I wish I could talk to that guy before every race. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, you know, but, I, but I get it. And you're, Dan, we talk a lot of people here. There seems to be a, a, a moment. It's not always a singular moment. There's a moment, though, where we all had some type of success early on that made us either think, wow, this is easy, wow, this is amazing, but some event happened that made us want to go back more and more and more. Yeah, Joe just hit it on the head, and once again, it's it's ninth grade, right? So we're talking, what, 15 years old, hanging out, going to the track, easy money, this is fun, and heart racing as the track announcer calls the horse's name coming down the stretch. Joe, you just reminded me, when I was, I was grew up going to the Meadowlands, and I remember a horse by the name of Linebacker Spur. And the, and the harness jockey was Jack Moiseev. And I remember linebacker Spur was my first win. You just triggered that memory. And that's why I love doing this show, because it brings us back to that time where we can pinpoint that, wow, that felt amazing. And now all of a sudden you want to go every Friday, every Saturday when those horses are racing, because you'll think you'll win all the time. So, Joe, you started to go more regularly, I guess, when you're uh, that age. Uh, at, at what point do you think it started becoming a problem for you, though? Um, I would say, I mean, I can go through stories from 15 to 25, like, like there's no tomorrow, but let me say when I was in my mid twenties, I, I was working, I had a good job. I was making good money. So obviously the bets got bigger and I also, um, started betting on sports. That was like a big thing around the office. Who do you like this week? Hey, what game do you like? Sure. Uh, you know, all this stuff. So that's the people, by the way, that I was attracted to. People talking about sports, people talking about lines. So I started getting into betting sports. And I think that's what really started me off. Because in the beginning, you know, I'm a sports guy. I played baseball, football. All of a sudden, I thought I knew something about sports. Oh, yeah, I can bet $25 on this game, $50 on this game. And people telling me there's parlays, there's reverses, there's boxes. And I'm like, oh, this is great. You know, so... Before long, I was betting way over my head on sporting events. You know, the old story, Craig, I was chasing. Yep. If I had a good week and, and I was making a lot, I was like, oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, my God, I want more, I want more, I want more. And if I was losing, I was like, oh, my God, I can't pay this, and I'm chasing it. So it just was like this ongoing, constant betting on every sporting event, just absolutely insane. Yeah, and you're right. It does work both ways. The chase is the most dangerous one of all because you can't afford to lose that last bet. And there always is a last bet of the week before it's time to pay up or collect. And you wind up making a bet on a game you know nothing about, you have no real opinion on, and you might as well flip a coin. And, yeah, sometimes I'm sure you covered it and got lucky, but I know for a fact there are a lot of times you didn't. And then you start making really bad life decisions after that, right? Oh, there's no question about it. And, Greg, you hit it. And I talk about this often, that Sunday night game, you're, you're desperate and you're looking at the game and saying, I have no idea, but I have to make a bet. 
Yep. I have to bet this game. It's totally ridiculous. And I got to tell you something I did more than once where I, I was blown away for the week. So I had to borrow the money to pay the bookie. And I, I, I worked a second job. Till, I had my regular job during the day. And then I drove a cab till 2 a.m. And then got up the next morning. Went to my, I did this for three or four weeks to pay back the money I borrowed. Hmm. Now, you think a normal person would say, geez, I'm never going to do this again. Right. This is horrible. And I did it constantly. I constantly found myself in the same spot. You know, a big thing I would always say is, why am I here? How did I get here again? And it wasn't until I came into the program that I realized I'm a, I'm a gambling addict. I'm always going to be here eventually. Was there, when you look back on life now, I, I doubt you felt this way during it, but now that you have clarity, um, looking back on your life, were there moments when you had that kind of self-talk in the mirror where you said, all right, that's it, I'm done. When I pay this debt off, I am done. Did you go through that kind of game in your head a few times? Uh, there's no question about it. I, I think if W.C. Fields said about quitting smoking, it's the easiest thing to do in the world. I've done it a thousand times. Right. And I sang that song many times. I'll never do it again. If I can just get out of this hole. And then, of course, once it's free and clear, once Joe's free and clear, I'm right back at it again. So was there a a singular moment where you look back and go, this was my deep end, this was my lowest moment, this is where it all changed, this was the biggest, you know, I could no longer, you know, handle this anymore. Like, what was, what was the moment that led you to say, I'm going to go get help? Yeah, I'll tell you what, I, I know it specifically, and I talk about it often. I was down at the end of my rope. I just had no more moves. I had a couple of bucks in my pocket. <clears throat> I went to the racetrack to try to make like a monster score. Really in trouble. Ninth race came, the last race of the day, and oh, gone. I didn't even have money to get over the bridge. I was in my 40s, Craig. I couldn't even get over the bridge to get back home to Westchester. So I said, uh, let me go to visit mom. Let me go visit mom and say hello. I know mom will give me a couple of bucks and I'll be okay for, you know, whatever. So I went to her house, showed up, you know, whatever, 4.30 in the afternoon, whatever it was, 5 o'clock. Hey, what are you doing here? Not the much. It was in the neighborhood. I thought I'd say hi. And I, if I couldn't bring myself to ask her for money. I hadn't asked my mother for money for in years and years. I was successful, doing well. So she thought... So I, I couldn't bring myself to ask it. So what I did what, it, what degenerate Joe B does. I waited till my mother went into the bathroom and rummaged through her pocketbook and took money. And I remember being on my knees because she had a walker outside the door. I remember being on my knees and I took out a $20 bill to get home and said, what in the world is going on here? What the hell just happened? And that was an absolute moment of clarity where I decided that night I'm going to call up the hotline for GA and say, I, I, I'm done. I, I can't do this for another second. Mm. And if you indulge me just another minute or so, that night I called up the hotline. And a gentleman answered the phone. I must tell you, after my son went to sleep, just me and my son in the house. My son was uh, nine years old at the time. I called up, a guy answered the phone and told me, I told him, oh my God, what I do? And he He's a wonderful human being, by the way. Um, he stayed on the phone with me for a couple of hours. Now, you wonder what we'll be doing for a couple of hours, and I'll tell you exactly what it was like. I could not 
I'm going to try to put it to you like this, Craig. A little child, when he wants to go to sleep and it's too dark, says to his mother, Mommy, don't leave. Don't leave the room. Mommy, stay there longer, Mom. That's how I was. I did not let this poor man hang up the phone. He kept saying to me, okay, it's time to go to sleep now. And I'd be like, no, no, no. I was so desperate, so distraught. Finally, after a couple of hours, I was settled. I said, I can do this. It's going to be okay. The next morning, I go to get the mail. And there's a credit card in the mail. <laughs> that conversation I had with him was gone. Now, he had given me meetings to go to, where to go, who to see. I got that credit card. I blew it up in about five weeks. And then I showed up at the meeting. And he heard my voice. And he said, uh, you the guy I talked to five or six weeks ago? I said, yeah, what, what took you so long? I said, oh, boy, forget it. I'm going to stop you so, right there. I'm going to stop you right there. we got to take a quick break. And then we'll continue on with Joe B., Dan Trelaro, 800-GAMBLER, Craig Carton. It's Hello, My Name is Craig on WFAN. Back to more of Hello, My Name is Craig on The Fan with your host, Craig Carton, and supported by the Council on Compulsive Gambling of New Jersey, 800-GAMBLER. All right, welcome back to Hello, My Name is Craig. Craig Carton, Dan Trelaro with the New Jersey Council on Compulsive Gambling. And uh, Joe B. joined us from Westchester County. He is uh, sharing his personal story. Where we left off there, Joe, you had uh, gotten a credit card in the mail, blew it up, and had gone against uh, what you thought the night before, which was, I'm going to go get help. I'm going to GA. So now here you are five weeks later, and you're in the GA meeting. Walk us through it. All right, so I, I, it was a meeting in Yonkers, New York. I, I went to the back door. I heard people talk, and I stuck my head in and pulled my head back out, stuck my head in, pulled my head back out. And a, and a gentleman came out and said, hey, what's up? You know, very nice, very pleasant person. And I said, listen, I, I think I'm in trouble. But I said, look, come on in, sit down two minutes. Just sit for two seconds. Just come say hello. It's no big deal, no pressure. You know, you don't have to say anything, do anything, just come in. And I said to him, listen, I, I, I just can't do it. He said, what's up? Why can't you do it? And I said, because if I go in there, I'm going to lose my best friend. Can you imagine? <laughs> I had just completely lost everything, destroyed every relationship I had. And I didn't want to go in there because gambling was the number one priority in my life. So he convinced me to come sit in. And I have to tell you a story. When I sat in that room, I was distraught, red-faced some tears that sat in the corner. And the first woman I heard speak was a 76-year-old Greek woman. Barely spoke English, lovely person, and all of a sudden, Craig, she's telling my story verbatim. Yep. And I'm sitting there saying, what is going on here? How does this woman know my story? I'm looking around for cameras. I thought the FBI was in the room. Seriously, I was, I could not believe she was telling my story. And then, uh, you know, I'm a little nervous. The next guy speaks, the next guy speaks. And I'm saying, oh, oh okay. <laughs> I had the same okay, moment. I get it. For I me, get it was it. until I went to uh, rehab out in Arizona. Same thing. Yeah, we all, I always thought, I, I assume you're saying the same thing. It was all unique to me. Nobody could possibly understand how I processed gambling, how it made me feel emotionally and mentally. And then I sat in a room with about 10 or 11 other people, men and women, and they had scratch-off addictions and lottery addictions and keno addictions and cards and sports and, you know, slots. And every one of them said the exact damn same thing I had said. And I go, wait a minute. Yeah, I really thought like I had written it down somewhere, you know, when I before I went to the rehab center and they stole it from me. 
Uh, he was word for word verbatim. And it wasn't until that day that, at least for me, I was willing to say you know, out loud that I've got a problem. It took me all that time. Well, I'm glad you did, Craig. And I'm, I'm really happy that you're getting out there and doing what you're doing. But, you know, it's not only that. Like you said, it, it, you, my mind was completely turned upside down. The simplest things for me, I, I, I couldn't figure out. Like the simple things like budgeting your money. That was so foreign to me. What do you mean the bookies and the Shylock are at the bottom and I have to take care of myself and my family first? What, what are you talking about? Right. It took me a while to understand all that. So, you know what's interesting, too? Ahead, uh, sorry, Craig. Yeah. You know, I think, Joe, you highlighted it before. You were motivated to make a change that night when you had hit that bottom and you made that phone call. And, and the powerful nature of gambling addiction is that you wake up the next morning and you'll say, wow, today's a new day. I know I was in that spot so many times. I picked up the phone, called 800-GAMBLER at night, but only the next day you get a credit card offer. You think, okay, today's going to be a little bit different. That was a close call. And it shows you that when you, you, you do pay debts off and you're free of that financial burden, it's like, wow, I can now gamble again. But that shows that gambling is not a money problem. And I think all three of us know that. And, and the listeners hopefully know that by now, too. It's not a money problem. It's an emotional problem. There's something else that we need to address so that when we do have things start moving well again in our life, we're not turning back to gambling. Right. It's fixing some of that other stuff. So uh, there's, there's absolutely no question about it. When I got that credit card, by the way, I said, all right, I'm coming up with a strategy now. I, I got to be serious about this gambling. And I said, you know what? Maybe it's where I'm going is the problem. So I started driving to Connecticut or driving way out on Long Island to these uh, uh, OTBs. Maybe I have to go to a different place to have a different vibe. That was actually a thought in my head as I'm driving up saying, yeah, this is going to work. This is going to work. It's just, you're right. Danny, we're insane. We just can't put two and two together when we're in our addiction. How long have you been uh, without a bet? Since April 1st, 2004. Wow, so you have 17 years now. Yes, yes. That's amazing. Congratulations on that. Completely different. Thank you so much. You know, it's a, you know maybe you can explain this. I try to explain it, and I, I think I fail miserably at it. You know, once I stopped gambling, and I really legitimately stopped, and it wasn't a focus of my life anymore, all the amount of free mental space I suddenly had was, like, almost overwhelming. Like, I wasn't worrying about who I have to pay, who's paying me, where I'm going to gamble, when I'm going to gamble, how I'm going to gamble, you know, on and on and on. And once I eliminated that part of my life, it was amazing just how much of my life I realized it was taking up. Oh, that that is so true, Craig. That is so true of us. You know, for me, I had a... Obviously, abstinence is the biggest thing in going to meetings. There's no question. But I needed to get out of my own head, just like you said. You know, my head was a problem. So I had a, you know, have a sponsor. I started going to step meetings. I'll tell you a great story about how that works. I was in a step meeting. And at this point, maybe I had a few months in and I was all in. I said, this is where I need to be. This is what I got to do. So we were talking about a higher power. And it was someone in the meeting who just was saying, I don't believe in high power. I don't believe in anything. The guy facilitating the room saying, no, just for the sake of this meeting right now, I want that chair right there to be your higher power. So everything you have to say to your higher power, say to that chair. Now, that might sound insane, but that was a way to get that person outside of their own head. 
and and just talking to in in this case it was a chair but that was the, that's the beauty part of the program is getting out of our head and talking to other human beings about what's going on so for me that was great i'll tell you one other quick story about step work how it's so important you know obviously when i came in i didn't know what a step was yeah there's steps to the stairs upstairs or downstairs that's the only steps i knew so it was in a step i came in april so it was step four so step five we were doing the next month a month later and the guy who was my temporary sponsor came by my house and said look step five i really want you to do this tell yourself or another human being the exact nature of your wrongs hmm. so me and him sat for Three days going over everything. He said, Joe, don't be afraid to be honest. It never leaves here. So tell yourself and end another human being the exact nature of your wrong. So I was ready. He said, Joe, you ready? I want you to start this meeting. So he introduced himself. Everyone was there. And he said, you know, I'd like to be talking about step five. And I want Joe B to start. And he slid me a mirror. He said, I want you to give your therapy not only to the room but looking in the mirror at yourself and craig dan i i, I could i looked at myself and burst out in tears i bet there's something to be said about I, I, honesty I, I, right? I didn't like what i saw Man. yeah that was I one of the hardest like things in the I middle saw. of addiction was looking at myself in the mirror you know that's Ooh. something joe hits you right between the eyes you know staring yourself in the mirror in the middle of addiction and then when you're becoming fully honest and transparent Boy, that's really hard. Uh, I want to make sure we do this because I think it's important since uh, you are 17 years, uh, quote unquote, sober, you know, without wagering. There's a lot of people that listen to the show that are at the beginning stage. They're at your step one, you know, 17 years ago. For me, it'll be three years coming up in a couple of weeks. Uh, and Dan, uh, how many years do you have, Dan? Over 11 years. Right. So there are a lot of people that are at stage one or maybe have a loved one that they're worried about. And I, one of the reasons I enjoy these conversations, Joe, is that you're tangible living proof that there is light at the end of the tunnel. So if you don't mind sharing just how good life is now, 17 years later, I think that's an important part of the message as well. Okay, very good. So so now being in program, I learned to do all those things, get my finances in order, put the family first, got a sponsor. I don't make any decisions without throwing it by my sponsor. So uh, it's a lot of work, by the way, because, uh, you know, I'm a compulsive gambler. I'm an addict. So my mind isn't straight sometimes. So I need third party perspective to lead me there. So let me say this. Uh, the last five years I was gambling, I was making a great salary with a great company. I had moved up the ladder and and I had more money than someone that age maybe should have had. I'm in the program 17. And by the way, I lost everything, including the job, including the money, including the retirement, everything. I had to rebuild everything. So now I make less than 40% of what I was making. And I have so much more now because I live within the principles of the program, A and B. I'm not throwing my money away. You know, it, I didn't realize how much money was used for gambling. Right. And when I did my budget, uh, when they said you had to pay back your debts and everything, there was money to pay back debts. And I was thinking, there's no way I'm going to be able to pay back debts. Five years, five years of paying back my debts, it was all gone. So right now, I remarried 10 years ago. We're celebrating in July to the most wonderful woman who... When I was in my addiction, I would have thought it would be way out of my league. And I don't mean beautiful, although my wife is a beautiful, beautiful woman. I mean, she's just such a pure, wonderful human being that I am so happy 
to be married to. And the children, the relationships with the kids, it's real. I love them with all my heart. But while I was in my addiction, I'll give you this example. My son, who I love more than anything, and anyone will tell you, my love to him wasn't strong enough to stop me from gambling. Yep. It took till I get the program in. Now, let me tell you a, a quick highlight of my uh, my GA life, my 10-year anniversary. My son said, Dad, do you mind if I go to the meeting? I said, not at all, son. I would love for you to be there. So it was a big celebration. Uh, as Dan knows, 10 years is a big, big, big thing. And my son whispered to me, Dad, do you mind if I speak? I said, absolutely not. I said, everyone, my son just wants to say a few words. And he got up there, Craig, and talked to he thanked everyone for giving him my giving me my dad back. And I can't tell you, and I looked at my son for the first time as a grown man. He was nineteen or twenty years old. It was the first time I looked at him, he was a grown man. I just my heart was so filled with love and joy that he was part of this journey. And he has benefited so much from the program. We had a discussion last night about something that's going on in his life. And I just went right to the principles of the program. You can't change anyone, son. You have to be accepting of who that person is, try to be understanding of them. And um, that's how you move forward with this stuff. Let it go. Do the best you can. I would have never said that while I was gambling. Well, I would have told the guy, take his legs out, pound on his head. <laughs> and someone pulls you off him. Seriously. No, I get Seriously. it. I get it. I get it. Well, no good joke. for you. Good for you. And I'm glad everything's worked out. Really appreciate you sharing your story. And I uh, hope to meet you one day as well. And thank you for joining us. I really do appreciate it. Uh, I do too. Guys, just to let you know real quick, we have an open meeting Sunday, events.newyork, spell out New York, events.newyorkga.com. It's going to be a great night, and I appreciate you letting me say a couple of words about it. Craig, down the road, we're going to ask you to be one of our guest speakers this uh, Sunday. Ray Negron, New York Yankees, is going to be there. So I hope I see you guys. Well, there. you have my word. Uh, I'll make sure you have my information from Danny, and you have my word. You ask, and I will be there a hundred percent. I I would I would it would be a privilege to do it. Oh, thank you so much, Craig. You're the man. Thank you, and I All so right, take appreciate care. what you're doing, Dan. You're the best, buddy. Thanks, Joe. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Joe. Be well. Have a All great right. day. You too, guys. Thank you. Dan, always appreciate it. 800 Gambler, the Council on Compulsive Gambling in New Jersey. We'll do it again next Saturday here on The Fan. Appreciate your time, pal. Thanks, Craig. Have a great week. Evan Roberts is next. Thank you. Hello, my name is Craig. Every Saturday at 930, right here on The Fan.